This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Ten years ago, there was a movement to get circumcision outlawed in San Francisco with a $1,000 fine, and it was, you know, child mutilation, and and it was a big movement, and they got it, they were going to get it on the ballot if it wasn't for a judge who ruled it. And you know who was behind that movement? Jews. It was Jewish people who were behind the movement to get circumcision outlined, outlawed. So if some Jews in the group are called Jews, and they believe the circumcision is wrong, and some Jews are in the group of Jews, they don't even believe in God, and yet they're all Jews. So then the question becomes, are Jews a faith group or a people group? And clearly, they're a people group, because they're not a faith group, because you can't identify anything that all Jews agree on that make them Jewish except for one thing, that a Jew cannot believe in Jesus Christ. But apart from that, anything goes. Well, it's the same question for this lady at Takati. What draws her as a Catholic together with other Catholics? For her, are Catholics a faith group or a people group? The same question could be asked for the Chaldeans in El Cajon or the Greek Orthodox in San Diego. Is it a faith group made up of individuals who have believed the same thing? Or is it a people group who happen to eat the same foods and have the same physical characteristics and speak the same language and have the same customs and traditions and they all associate maybe in a particular church or a synagogue or whatever? The issue here is that God does not save groups of people. God does not make groups of people his children. God saves individuals, people who have thought for themselves, people who have come themselves, and he makes these individuals his children. As he said in Isaiah 27, 12, Isaiah 27, 12, God said, you shall be gathered one by one, O ye children of Israel, one by one. Jesus said in John 6, 37, John 6, 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that come to me I will in no wise cast out. Not they that come to me I will in no wise cast out. 
but him that come to me, I will no less cast out. So it's surprising to see the disciples here so influenced by what the scribes were teaching that they should care, and they wanted an explanation from the Lord on what the scribes were teaching. Thessalonians, they're praised for this, for this independent thinking when it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively worketh also in you that believe. This is the Thessalonians. When they saw the, when they got the Bible, when they saw, when they received the word of God, they didn't receive it as the scribes say. They received it as God says, as the word of God. The Berean believers were immune from following men because what it says of in Acts 17.11, Acts 17.11, they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. In other words, the way the believers in Thessalonica, the way the believers in Berea were saved was looking at what men said, like the scribes, and then receiving the Bible as the word of God, the authority, to show them whether it was right or wrong. They listened to what was being taught, then they searched the Bible themselves to see whether it was true or not, because the Bible is the authority. This is where the disciples were lacking in that they should have asked the Lord, why does the scripture say, why does it say in Malachi that Elijah should come first before the Messiah, which it does. In the last two verses in Malachi, before the great 400-year silence, the last words of God to Israel in Malachi 4, 5, and 6 are, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Their question should have been, why does the scripture say that Elijah must first come? And not, as it is in verse 10, why then say the scribes that Elijah must first come? Nevertheless, nevertheless, Christ is so gracious that he doesn't get concerned about that, and he just answers them. In verse 11, Jesus answered and said unto them, Elijah uh, truly shall first come and restore all things. And this is, again, referring to the verses in, in uh, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. God is going to send Elijah, and it says that Elijah is going to turn the heart of the fathers to the children. This great turning We've seen since the 1960s, I guess, you know, with the start of Jews for Jesus, we've seen a turning of Jews to Christ. And that turning of Jews to Christ was primarily among young people. Young people called in this verse the children. And so the Jewish young people are the ones who turn, and then it wasn't uncommon for them to look to their parents, to go to their parents, to bring them to Christ as, as the heart of the fathers was turned toward the children. And what the Jewish children were doing is that they weren't turning their heart toward their fathers who were against Christ, but they were turning, the children's hearts were turning toward the, the fathers as in Father Abraham, Father Isaac, and Father Jacob. So the heart of the children was going back to the, the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were following Jehovah Jesus, and they then, with a heart of care and compassion toward their own uh, immediate fathers, turned their hearts. It's interesting but what's interesting here is that the Lord, when he refers to this, he talks, he uses a word, restore. He said, Elijah's going to come and restore all things. The world today is suffering because of sin. 
People are suffering because of sin. Sin represents a chain. Adam and Eve were going along, obeying God. They were in a state of friendship with God. They were in the Garden of Eden. And then came the great changer, the devil. He enticed them to change and try disobedience. Oh, it's fun. It's great. Eyes will be open. You'll see things, know things. Try disobedience. Try sin. And try being in a state of enemies with God. It's boring to be a friend of God. This is what he was saying. And so when they did that, Adam and Eve, they needed restoration. They needed restoration. They needed restoration back to obedience, back to friendship with God. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is restoration. Repentance is a return. It's why God told Israel in uh, Jeremiah 6.16, Jeremiah 6.16, when they were deep in sin, God said to them, in Jeremiah 6.16, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk, the, walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. So when David had committed these horrible sins of adultery and murder with Bathsheba and, and killing her husband, David realized that something had changed dramatically and so in his Psalm of Repentance, which is Psalm 51, he said in Psalm 51, 12, Psalm 51, 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. In other words, what, what David realized was that joy was gone. Life had become depressing for David. There was no happiness. There was no thrill. There was no excitement. There was no joy in his life. And so his prayer is, bring it back. You know, I lost that joyful feeling. Bring it back. Bring back the joy of your salvation. Now, when Christ is referring here to uh, Elijah, the coming of Elijah, we know there are two comings of the Lord. There's the first coming and there's the second coming. And before each coming, Elijah comes. And so when the Lord is talking about in verse 11, Elijah truly shall first come and restore all things. He's talking about the future. He shall come. This is his second coming, he's talking about. And restore all things. Restore all things. Judgment's going to come. But then the Lord then addresses the moment that he's speaking about in his first coming in the next verse, verse 12, where it says, But I say unto you that Elijah is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed, likewise going to do to him. So, and we can imagine how surprised the disciples are where they hear that Elijah came already. Did anybody, were we blind? What happened? Did you see him? I didn't see him. Do you know that Elijah came? We didn't see him. But before John the Baptist was born, an angel came and explained to his father, Zacchaeus. He explained to Zacharias. He explained to him what John the Baptist was going to do in Luke 1.13. Luke 1.13. The angel said unto him, this is John's father, the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For she shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. For he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the disobedient and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So 
John the Baptist was not Elijah literally, but John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah to fulfill the role of Elijah from Malachi. And John the Baptist knew that he wasn't literally Elijah. And as a matter of fact, when his challengers came to him and they asked him point blank, are you Elijah? They asked him that in John 1.19, John 1.19. This is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elijah? Are you Elijah? And he saith, I am not. So John the Baptist knows he's not Elijah. But John the Baptist is keenly aware that he is a person who is described by the prophet Isaiah as simply the voice. That's how this person is described in Isaiah 40, verse 3. Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He knows he's this person who is the voice. He knows that because he goes on in John 1. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, referring to Isaiah 40, verse 3. Make straight the paths before the Lord. Prepare. So what this is referring to, this make straight the paths of the Lord, this is referring to a practice that was then that whenever a Middle Eastern king would travel, he would have a person way out in front of his caravan, and that person would essentially be crying out, he's coming, he couldn't see him, he's way out. He's coming, the king's, and so he's coming down this road, so remove any rocks that are in the way, get rid of any debris, any branches or whatever, clear the way so that his way will not be hindered. It's going this way. This is the picture that's painted, that God paints in Isaiah 40, verse 3, of John the Baptist as this person way out in front of the king of kings, Jesus, of King Jesus. And so King Jesus is coming for the first time in his first coming down this road of salvation, it's a road of salvation. He's coming to save sinners and he's gonna be successful if the road of salvation is cleared of any obstacles. And the obstacle is a sin that hasn't been repented of. And so when John the Baptist is fulfilling his role of the voice in Luke 3, 4, Luke 3, 4, it says, as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So when the John the Baptist says, make his path straight, he's telling the people, remove from the road any sins that you have that have not been repented of, so that King Jesus can be successful and get down this road of salvation to save you and sinners. So now, this is totally different and not to be confused with the second time, which is referred to also in Malachi 4, but verse 5. So this is, this is the way it's kind of uh, a little bit mysterious here, that Malachi 4 has actually got both comings of Christ in, embedded into it. And Malachi 4, 5 was going to be for judgment. And that's called the great dreadful day of the Lord. Christ's first coming is not a great dreadful day. That's a wonderful day of salvation. But his second coming for judgment is called a great dreadful day of the Lord. And that will not be for salvation. And there's no need to clear a road. There's no need to clear a road because sins that haven't been repented for because King Jesus is not coming to save second time to save. But in verse 5 of Malachi 4, 5, Malachi 4, 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's the second coming. Could be for judgment. But it's the next verse, verse 6. It's referring to his first coming when it says in Malachi 4.6, Malachi 4.6, he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. 
So in those two verses in Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, is describing Elijah coming for both the second and the first comings of Christ. And what Elijah does, what Elijah was to accomplish, happened in the first coming of Christ, and John the Baptist did it. And John the Baptist did it with the great preparation of the people because he preached repentance, which all shows that the Messiah was not just to appear on the scene, just like the king in the caravan was not just to appear there without a preparation. Preparation, in this case, of the heart, which all shows that the Lord Jesus Christ is not supposed to appear in a person's life without a preparation of the heart. And when we look at that great preparation that God predicted just before they come, we see that in order to fulfill that, God chose a strong preacher, John the Baptist. He was something else to see in Matthew 3, 1. Matthew 3, 1, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness, Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The same John had his raiment of camel's hair, leather girdle about his loins, meat was locust, wild honey. Then it went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits made for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, God is able at these stones, and you can imagine him pointing at stones, to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also is the axe laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And then he went on to speak about Christ who is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost with fire and he's going to purge his floor and he's going to burn up the chaff and so forth. So you look at this person, John the Baptist, and say, who in the world is this person? He now appears out of, out of nowhere and he appears in nowhere of a wilderness and all of a sudden he's just a sensation and everybody's going out to meet him and all of Jerusalem and so forth and everyone is leaving their cities to go nowhere to some, some, some wilderness out there and his message is prepare yourselves. Prepare yourself because he's coming. The king is coming. Don't be caught unprepared because I'm going to help you get prepared. Because if you're caught unprepared, you will not be able to have the encounter with the Messiah that's going to help you. So the issue here is, are you prepared or not? You're not going to benefit from the encounter unless you're prepared. It's all about being prepared. Because if a person's not prepared to meet Christ, then Christ is just interesting. He's just interesting. He's interesting. But it didn't come to earth to interest people. I mean, if a person is not prepared to meet Christ, then Christ is just, it's entertaining. Look at all these people he's healing. That's really something. But it didn't come to earth to entertain people. If a person is not prepared to meet Christ, then Christ is just thought-provoking. Thought-provoking. But he didn't come to provoke thought. If a person's not prepared, then, he just, then that person just becomes religious. He didn't come to make people religious. So if Christ didn't come to earth to be interesting, to be thought-provoking, to make people religious, to be entertaining, why did he come to earth? He said in Luke 19.10, Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He only came if a person was prepared to know they were lost. And that's the preparation of John the Baptist, to show them how they're lost. The reason he came to earth is 1 Timothy 1.15, 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all expectation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I also am chief. Chief, so spoke the apostle Paul. So he comes into the world to save sinners, not good sinners, 
but dirty, rotten sinners. And John the Baptist is there preparing them, showing them just how dirty they, dirty, rotten sinners are, just how rotten the sinners are, because he came to save those type of sinners. And he's effective. John the Baptist is effective because, as we saw in Matthew 3, 6, Matthew 3, 6, it says that when the people came out to be baptized as them, they're just confessing their sins. You know, I stole money. I was with my neighbor's wife. And, I mean, they're deeply affected. They're crying. And then come another group of people, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And now John the Baptist is addressing what they're thinking in Matthew 3, 9, Matthew 3, 9, he says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. He's talking about what they're saying to themselves. Like rabbis told me one time, hell, that's Gentiles. Gentiles made up hell. That's not for you. We have Abraham to our father. So he's giving very strong warnings to the people. And he's using this analogy of marking trees. Not analogy, it's a practice. He's using the practice of marking trees to say, this is what's happening, folks. You know, when, when, the, when the farmer, when the workers would go around in the orchards of vineyards and, and the orchards, when they go around the orchards and they would identify this tree and say, oh, this tree, look at all the mangoes, 200 mangoes, fantastic, you know, keep that tree. And then they come to another tree and it hasn't made a mango in two years. And so they say, well, got to replace it, put another tree in there. And they say, all right, we'll give it one more year, one last chance. So then they take their axe and they would just gouge it at the root as a mark and they would mark it. And that meant that next year when they came around, if they saw that mark, that was it for that tree. It was history. And so he's saying in Matthew 3.10, Matthew 3.10, John the Baptist, now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good tree is hewn down and cast into the fire. So he's warning them. He's saying, the mark is on you. When next time coming around, it's all about preparation of the heart, all about preparation of the heart. And when you look at that, at that context, preparation of the heart, you can reevaluate the whole parable of the, uh, the seed and the soils, the four types of soils, you know, the hard ground soil, seed falls in, nothing happens to seed, taken away. The rocky ground soil, seed springs up, withers and dies, doesn't have root. The thorn-infested uh, ground seed springs up, thorns choke it, and then the good seed where it brings forth good fruit. And you can all look at it from the context of the idea of preparation because just as a person with a hard heart and thinking that I'm good enough, I don't need this Jesus stuff, I'm going to get to heaven because of my good works. He will not receive the, the word of God. He's a sinner. And then you look at the next person, the person that is pictured as having the rocks in the soil, the ground is not prepared. The rocks are not removed. It's like, oh, this is wonderful. It's wonderful, but no deep consideration. He's not prepared his heart. He hasn't deeply considered the word of God. He let the changes in his life take place, the changes that demand submission and change of life. And then the, the good seed doesn't survive there. And the good seed doesn't survive in the ground with weeds and thorns because it wasn't prepared. Boy, that's a painful experience for me right now. I'm living in a tragedy right now because we planted this we planted this big lawn down in Loretto. It's the ground that was that was this much ground soil was removed and new soil was brought in, it was broken up, and it was all prepared and it was sifted. It was even sifted so that rocks removed, but one thing lacking. We put the sod down on top and that beautiful grass within no time was ruined by weeds that just came straight up through it and choked it all out. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.